This message first aired on the radio on November 11, 2003. Now we're taking up an entirely new subject today in that we're taking up the book of Romans. And in, in so doing, we trust that there'll be some good exposition, not only doctrinally of what the Scripture teaches, but dispensationally for the way that the dispensation that we live in, which we have called the, the dispensation of the church, which is his body, uh, we trust that we'll be able to address both those topics while pacing ourselves through the Scripture. So we want to get right to the heart of the matter, and we're, we're going to look at the book of Romans, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, and today we'll try to get through uh, Romans 1, 1 through 6 in a convenient way, and then we, we trust we'll also be able to get through verse 16 today. So if you have your Bible, you can read along, and that's that'll be more enjoyable for you. But if you're occupied, we'll read the Scriptures, especially the first few verses here. Now we're going to read the first six verses. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, or literally called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he, that is God, had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection out from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. Now, here we have introductory remarks by the apostle, but they're cogent, they're full of meaning, and they're important. And so we'll just take it apart a little bit as he introduces himself and really broadly introduces some of his topic, but not all of his topic. First off, we see that Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, you can overlook that. If you're not careful, you can overlook all kinds of things in the Bible. But today it's popular to posit this notion and you know, I, those of you who've listened regularly to me know what I think about it. Posit this notion of what would Jesus do? And, and frankly, I believe that that is a pretext uh, for people to do whatever their own minds can devise. It is not even a biblical question to ask, what would Jesus do? I've, I've seen and I've heard where people say, this is the way you should approach the Bible. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Well, the fact is, you have no idea what Jesus would do. He constantly surprised his own followers. He constantly confounded everyone around him by what he actually did. And so you don't need to speculate about what would Jesus do. In fact, instead of speculating on what Jesus would do, we should be meditating on what Jesus did do. And rather than speculate, why don't you meditate? That can be your little mantra for the day. The Lord Jesus Christ what would he do? He would do that what I could not do. He would die for my sins. He would come into the flesh as a pre-incarnate being, something I would not do. He would live a perfect life, something I would not do. He would die for my sins, something I would and could not do. He would then rise from the dead on his own power. That's something I cannot do. Then he would show himself alive to many witnesses, something I also could not do. And then he would ascend up into glory, something I also cannot do. And he'd do all this by his own power. So there's no, there's no reason to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? But there is a good question that we can ask concerning the subject of how should I conduct my life, and that is, what did the Apostle Paul do? And what did he tell us to do? 
because the Apostle Paul is an example of a servant of Jesus Christ. Here, Romans 1, 1, he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was never a servant of Jesus Christ. So how can you find out how to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Well, it is the Apostle Paul who is our example. He's called an apostle, that is, one who is sent. But he's not merely one who is sent. He is one of the apostles. He's no less than the very chiefest of the apostles. He's called an apostle, and you're not called an apostle. We're going to find out what we are called, but we're not called apostles. But the apostle Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, that's his calling, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, let me go back here for a moment and find out who the Apostle Paul actually is. He claims here he's a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Later, he calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. He had a special ministry to the Gentiles, even though he's the one who wrote one of our theme verses of this broadcast. That is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. This is the Apostle Paul here in our study today wrote that scripture and followed it as he wrote it, followed it in his life. Well, the Apostle Paul is now one who goes before. He's our example servant. He is one sent. He's sent to the Gentiles. The other apostles were sent to the Jews. The Apostle Paul sent to the Gentiles, even though he brought the gospel to the Jew first. He is a prototype. He's a prototype. In fact, he claims to be a prototype in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, a prototype is a prototupos, compound word, means a first, protos, meaning first. He's the first example, or he's the first in a mold. You might say he is the injection mold of what it means to be a Christian. And he's a, he is the prototypical sinner. And if we look at, at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin reading from verse 12, we can read something here about what the Scriptures say about the Apostle Paul as he writes about himself. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Let me pause a minute. Men did not put the Apostle Paul into the ministry, and neither can men put you into the ministry. So quit looking for it. You want to be put into the ministry? Ask God to put you in the ministry. He will do it when he finds you faithful, when he counts you faithful. And let me tell you something. Whether men find you faithful or not, whether you find yourself faithful or not, if God counts you faithful, that ought to be sufficient for you. So the Lord Jesus Christ counted Paul faithful. Men didn't, so what? He's a servant of Jesus Christ, after all. Put him into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And now the Apostle Paul claims his ignorance, and that's something else the Lord Jesus Christ could not do. Right? He could not be he could not be the prototypical sinner. He can't say that he conducted himself ignorantly in unbelief at any time, because he never did. So here's here's a good reason why the Apostle Paul is an example for us to follow because there's another example, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose behavior we cannot replicate. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, verse 14 of 1 Timothy 1, with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And here now we have this, 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That is to say, this is a saying that is perfectly worthy for you to believe. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Here he is. Here is our prototypical sinner. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the first. I am the protos. That is to say, he's the first one. Now he says, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern. Hupotoposis, a pattern. This is someone who was cut out of the human race to be a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So from the time that the Apostle Paul was cut out from among sinners, and remember Jesus Christ was no sinner, so he was not taken from among sinners. The Apostle Paul is taken from among sinners as a pattern, as a, as a mold for those who hereafter believe on Jesus Christ, a life everlasting. And so, my friends, let me just tell you how simple it is for me. I am one who hereafter have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I now have a pattern to follow, a pattern sinner to follow. And the Apostle Paul also told us to do this. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, you can read there that the Apostle Paul said, Be followers of me. And that's in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Wherefore I beseech you, he says, be ye followers of me. Now he could say that, follow me. He, he also tells them, the same Corinthian church in the 11th chapter, he says, follow me in the way that I keep the, the teachings of Christ. He says this, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So that you want to know how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Follow the Lord Jesus Christ just exactly the way that the Apostle Paul did. He's our example. And, and he also carried on further, and he said, you ought to know examples and see examples of those who follow Christ like the Apostle Paul did, which means that they follow also the Apostle Paul in the way he followed Christ. And, you, and we're responsible, as, as Christians, are responsible to know who does that and follow them. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them, or note them. Actually, it is eyeball them. You could say eyeball them. Be followers together of me, and eyeball them, that is, with the eyes of your understanding, which walk the same way, so you have us for an example. Because there are many who walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now that is to say, there are some who walk. There are none who walk. That is, now you don't walk until you have standing in Christ. There is no Christian, no matter what his behavior, who is an enemy of Christ. But there are those who walk that are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ, who will not go that way the way of self-denial, the way of self-abnegation, the way of death. There are those who will not walk that way. There are br brothers and sisters who we love and who, who God loves, who are, not, who are not the enemies of Christ, but who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And in the face of that, we're to mark them who walk like the apostle Paul walked. So you see, he's called an apostle. He's our example servant. 
and he separated unto the gospel of God. And that's his purpose. He separated unto the gospel. And we're going to look at that in just a minute after this brief announcement. Well, we're covering the first six verses of the book of Romans, and we're going to be in the book of Romans for about seven weeks, it appears. And so I hope that you'll read the book. It takes you about 45 minutes to read the book of Romans aloud carefully. You know, that even includes maybe normal distractions like uh, dropping your book a couple of times or looking around and getting comfortable. You can read the book of Romans in 45 minutes. If you're particularly slow, give yourself an hour. But read the book of Romans. Read the scriptures because out of them proceed the issues of the heart and out of your heart the issues of life. So read the scriptures. There's no substitute. Even listening to a radio broadcast is no substitute for listening and reading the Word of God yourself. And if you're having trouble concentrating on the Word of God, my recommendation is to read it aloud to help yourself to know it better. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, how he's our example as a servant of Christ. And if more men would follow the example of the Apostle Paul, then we would have more men that we could see, as the Scriptures tell us, so that we could follow their example, and the, and the Christian life would be easier to discover and to do. One of the most discouraging things there is, is to be a Christian, a new Christian, and try to find out how to live the Christian life, and to discover years later that you've been misled and that you didn't have good example. It's a very discouraging thing. Some shipwreck the faith of others doing that, and the Lord does not take that lightly. Well, we also now see that not only is the apostle uh, the apostle and a servant of Christ, but he's separated unto the gospel of God. Now, we talk about the gospel of God, and the gospel, the word gospel means good news, and there's a context for good news. There's a context. There are various contexts given for good news. There's the good news of the grace of God. There's the good news of the kingdom. Those are different. They're, they're not contradictory messages in any way, but they're different messages. The good news of, of Christ's kingdom on earth is certainly not the good news of the grace of God. This here is the gospel of God, the good news of God, which it tells us in parentheses in our English Bibles, in the second verse of Romans 1, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, this good news has been promised and is known. And so there are two subjects broadly addressed in the book of Romans, one in vast detail and the other briefly. The first one is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of God. It is the good news of your salvation and how you'll be saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is nothing that was ever hidden in the Scriptures. In fact, if our gospel is hid, the Apostle says, it's hid from those whose eyes are blinded by their own wickedness and, and by their desire away from light. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not hidden. It is not the treasure hidden in the field in Matthew 13. It is nothing hidden. The gospel of God was not hidden in the Old Testament. You can see it. It's right there to be seen. No one has ever received eternal life except they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that if you have been with us on this broadcast, we've had enough opportunity to give you vignettes that show you how the salvation of God comes by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as those who looked forward in time saw our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is the gospel of God. It's not hidden. 
and it is wide open. It is the most public thing there is in the human race, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is not hidden. There is something that is hidden in the Scriptures that was never known before it was revealed to the Apostle Paul, and those he calls the mysteries or the secrets that he teaches. And if you'll uh, go back and look at our introduction to this dispensation, for example, on the website, and look at the introduction, it's right there on the second page as you link through the website. And Or if you remember hearing it here, we discussed the various mysteries that were committed to the Apostle Paul, secrets which were never known prior to the time of his ministry, which he does declare. And so one very large distinction that we need to make in the book of Romans is that the gospel, which he's going to explain in detail, was not hidden. But the mystery concerning the church, which is his body, is hidden. And that's something that he's going to articulate, not a lot in the book of Romans, just toward the end of the book of Romans, just the last chapter. We're going to see something about that. And we'll read about it elsewhere, especially in the book of Ephesians, as we cover these different epistles. But the gospel of God is not hidden. And if it is hidden, it's just because of your darkened heart to those who are blinded by Satan. It's not hidden by God, certainly. And so here he says, he separated unto the gospel of God, which God promised by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, I'll just mention a couple of things. First of all, the prophets were men of old, as Peter tells us, that the Spirit of God was in them, giving them times that they did not understand. They did not understand the times. They understood the content. They just didn't understand when the content would exactly be applied. And I want to tell you something else about the prophets. The Spirit of God was in them. And so that might change your doctrine a little bit. That might convolute some of the things you've heard and so forth. But the Spirit of God was in them. And I want to say something else about what the prophets' writings are called. The prophets' writings are called the Holy Scriptures. And so is the Apostle Paul's writing called the Scriptures. And the Apostle Peter tells us, that those who were unstable wrestled with Paul's writings as they did the other scriptures. So this is the scriptures. That's what it's called. Okay, you want to call it the New Testament? I can't fight the overwhelming persuasion that somebody's called the last 26 books of the scriptures the New Testament. It's, It's inside me. I can't fight it enough. But let's be correct. They're the scriptures. The scriptures. And there's there's no... Among the scriptures, there's no greater and lesser scriptures, just like there were no greater and lesser prophets. Just like we call the prophets the major and the minor prophets, we should talk about the longer and briefer prophets. There's nothing minor about the prophecies of Zechariah. There's nothing minor about the prophecies of Haggai. There's nothing minor about the prophecy of Obed. There's nothing minor about it. It's just briefer. And there's there's not a book called by the Scriptures, the New Testament. There's just the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are only complete when the Scriptures are complete. So the first 39 books, commonly called the Old Testament, not by the Lord. He called them the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms. Not complete. Not complete. It's incomplete. So my Jewish friend, what you studied in Torah school, incomplete. You didn't have the Scriptures. You just had some. 
and you had a lot fewer than you think. It was being edited by men who will not be as free to tell you what the scriptures say as I am free to tell you. They won't be as free as me. They could be, but they won't be. So the scripture, the holy scriptures, God promised the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who fits the holy scriptures. Now it tells us concerning his son. What did he promise afore by his prophets and the holy scripture? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And that's important. His genealogy is important. His timing is important. We've come right out of a brief look at the book of Daniel. If the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't Messiah the Prince, who is? Has to be in that time frame, that 483 years. If he's not, who is? Who's of the seed of David? He is. Declared to be the Son of God with power. And here we have verse 4. This is an outstanding verse of Scripture. Verse 4 of Romans chapter 1, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection out from or from the dead. Not by the resurrection of the dead, but by the resurrection from the dead. And I'll come into your minds once again the three aspects of resurrection. There is the resurrection of the dead, everybody up. There is the resurrection from the dead or out from the dead. That is where the Lord Jesus Christ rose out, and others did not. So there is that out-resurrection. And I tell you, there's a third phrase, the out-resurrection, out from the dead, which we'll look at in Philippians chapter 3, whereby we find those who live a life pleasing to the Lord according to the single hope that all who believe have in this age. By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, Romans 1, 5, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this. Here the apostle addresses this phrase, the obedience to the faith among all the nations. Now there are those who will tell you that that's the obedience to the law. It's not. It is the obedience to the faith. That is to say, God commands, as the apostle told the Athenians, there at Marshall, the university professors who had nothing to do all day long but sit around and talk about some new thing. That, that's your faculty people. He went there, visited the faculty people at the University of Athens at Mars Hill. And he told them, God used to wink at your ignorance. So maybe you're a university professor today, and uh, you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that God used to, look, he used to just have one eye on you. And he said, well, you're just an ignorant fella. I'll excuse you for being ignorant. He used to do that. Now, not anymore. Now he doesn't excuse your ignorance anymore. Now he says you're a willfully ignorant person and commands you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is what obedience to the faith is. Obedience to the faith is that God commands all men everywhere to change their mind and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You not only are allowed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and offer to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are commanded to believe in him. And if you will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because you are hard-headed, pig-headed, arrogant, good-for-nothing, that loves darkness instead of light, and will not let light into your thoughts, because you're arrogant, pig-headed, and wicked, and you love your sins. Now, that's the gospel. It's not polite. It's not very nice. I know it's an unacceptable statement today to say you're an arrogant, pig-headed, wicked sinner, but that is, in fact, what we all are. And just as one arrogant, pig-headed, wicked sinner to another, let me tell you that the best choice you have 
is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the only choice you have. I say, I thought you said you can't decide to believe. Well, you can't. And that's with God. God has to bring to you faith. He will. How will he do it? You say, well, how will that happen? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It happens in a crazy way, just like you listening to this broadcast. That's how it happens. Now, here in verse 6, finally, the apostle says, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? Now, we're not all called to be apostles, even though in verse 5 we read, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. That we there is the rhetorical English we that we use when we teach the Bible, for example. You'll hear me say we. We think that has to do with the apostle and the company that he's with. It doesn't have to do with every single Christian, certainly has not received apostleship. You say, well, everybody is sent. No, everybody is called. Everybody is called. Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? That's what he says in verse 6. Now, what does it mean to be the called of Jesus Christ? Well, we're called to be holy. That is, called to be holy ones, called to be saints. What does it mean to be holy? Well, what it doesn't mean is to keep the Ten Commandments. That won't get you holy. You won't do that, for one thing. And secondly, that's not what God, that's not, that doesn't make any, that never made anybody holy. What makes someone holy is God, not what, but who makes somebody holy is God. He sets apart or sanctifies. We have a crazy notion of what it means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart, to be set apart. The Apostle Paul said he was sanctified from his mother's womb. Well, we're all, in a sense, sanctified from our mother's womb. Insofar as when we're born, we are set apart from our mother's womb. But sanctified means to be set apart by God. And we're all called by God. We're all set apart by God. Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ not only receives eternal life, but he receives the gift of eternal life and a new nature, which we'll read about here in the book of Romans, in order to pursue and do the purpose for which you have been called. And we're all called. And that's a wonderful thing. And we ought to know our calling and to make it sure, not just our calling, but our calling out. And we'll look at that more later. But our purpose today is to go on here and look at the next set of verses and to see what the Apostle Paul's purpose was. So there's his introductory remarks. Now he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Grace comes first, then peace. That's how you find it in the Scriptures. You need grace first, then you'll have peace. Now we have problem with peace. We have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God comes to you, the gift of God, which is eternal life, comes to you, and now you have the peace with God. Peace with God. Until that time, you're an enemy of God in your mind because you're wicked works. So God makes peace for you and with you. And let me just say, Christian brother or sister, never try to find your peace with God in yourself. You just you just won't find it. The more you look at yourself, the more you look at the work that God has done in you, the less peace you'll have. You need to find your peace with God. Look at the work that our Lord Jesus Christ and God did for you. That's just a, a little reminder to the troubled brothers and sisters when they find anxiety arising in their hearts because of their performance within their Christian life. 
God gives to you the peace with himself, and it comes from him and not from you. And that's good news. So grace to you and peace. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, a couple things here. First of all, the Romans were famous not for what the world would think, the capital of the world, center of learning, whatever. These people were famous for their faith. And let me assure you that you're ahead to be famous for faith instead of famous for other matters which you may enjoy. And he says that their faith is spoken of throughout the entire world. Well, he's giving now salutations to these people, but we'll get to the substance of what he has to say in this section, especially about the power of God, in just a minute after this brief announcement. Look at the second part of this first chapter, Romans. We'll just read along. He says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ, verse 8, for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I'm going to just stop there for a minute and try to summarize briefly what he says there. The Apostle Paul is giving an expressed, urgent message to them here, really, that he wants to come to them. He wants to come to Rome. He's eager to come to Rome. He has a couple of purposes for which he wants to come to Rome, not the least of which, as God has told him, he will go to Rome. And it takes him a long time to get to Rome. He has a very difficult course to get there. And it's quite a story all by itself. It's much of the story of the book of Acts, how the Apostle Paul actually gets there. But his desire is to get to Rome, and we'll talk about one of the main reasons why it is, besides to visit this small gathering of people here, no doubt, or to visit the saints wherever they're gathering in Rome. And he wants he wants to get there according to the will of God, but obviously he, he can't get there. And so he writes to them. And he says in verse 11 something interesting. I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Now this spiritual gift here is the pneumaticos charisma. That is to say, this is the spiritual gifts. Now there there are such things as spiritual gifts. And I want to tell you something. I believe in spiritual gifts. I believe in them, but they aren't happening today. Now, what these goofy, crazy people are saying are spiritual gifts, babbling like children, miracles that can never be verified, all this nonsense, which has grown up substantially in my lifetime, which somehow got, and if you read the, if you read the beginning of this on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, it would make some kind of Three Stooges movie or something. But this crazy Pentecostalism that's floating around, saying that there are spiritual gifts operating today is nothing less than nonsense. I believe in spiritual gifts, but I can't see them. I believe in them because I read about them in the Bible. That stuff that people are doing, they babble, they really they lie about miracles happening. They just make up stories. And and I've heard one made up story after the next. I'll give a bounty, I'll give I'll give you a thousand bucks. How's that? I'll give you a thousand dollars bona fide, first-hand, charismatic miracle. Doesn't happen. That's the safest thousand I have. Let me just say 
that the apostle did by the laying on of his hands have because of apostolic authority had the ability to impart spiritual gift and that's what he was going to do when he if he got to rome the gifts opera the gifts of the holy spirit operating here the charismatic gifts operating he was going to impart to them charismatic gifts now he's an apostle he can do that there is nobody today that's an apostle nobody can do that nobody does do that and look i don't like to be the bearer of news that bothers you especially but it helps you and i don't serve you anyway i serve the lord jesus christ and so here the apostle was able to impart some spiritual gift and if some guy could do that today he'd be an apostle but he's not an apostle and if some guy could do that today we'd have to read his writings because he'd have the he'd be having the apostles doctrine but in the context of the time in which this was written this is the apostle paul to a group of christians or churches that did not have the written word of god and he was able and willing and ought to have been able and willing to impart to them charismatic gift and that's what that's about in order that he would be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me so there he can talk about charismatic gifts and imparting them as a matter of faith Today, you cannot talk about it that way as a matter of faith because they no longer happen, and that is also an article of faith that they don't happen. Now, that is part of the faith once delivered. That is part of the same faith that there's only one faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That is part of the one faith that we all have. And to hold otherwise, to look for charismatic gifts, to believe that they're operating today, is to create schism in the unity of the Spirit that God has given to us. Well, now he says, verse 13 through 16, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. So his desire was to have fruit among them, but he's been hindered to get to Rome. I am debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians. And those are opposites, by the way. Among the Greeks, you were either a Greek because you spoke Greek, or you were a barbarian. Now, a barbarian, that's an onomatopoetic word, and it, it derives from barbar, which is sort of like saying blah, blah. And if you didn't speak Greek, the Greeks, arrogant enough, just said, well, he's just blathering something. If he were an educated person, he'd speak Greek. We have a little bit about that in the, about the English language worldwide, both to the wise and to the unwise. So he says he's debtor to Greeks and those who don't speak Greek. Now, what's his debt? Does that mean they all contributed something to him? No. It means that God had put upon him the burden and the necessity to reach both the educated, the uneducated, that's what the wise and the unwise means, both to those who are Greeks, those who are somebody, and those who are nobodies. He had an obligation and a debt to reach everybody, and he did that. The gospel, during the life of the Apostle Paul, went to the entire world. Now he says, so much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now that is an amazing story. Let me just tell you that this is Saul of Tarsus. There were three cities in the ancient world at the time of the apostle that were notable as academic, what can we say, pinnacles. The three great academic pinnacles at the time of the apostle Paul were Tarsus, Athens, 
and Rome, probably in reverse order. I mean, I don't know how the AP and UPI polls were, the, the, the USA poll and the AP poll was. Maybe they were unanimous that, that Rome was number one, and then maybe the AP poll had Athens number two, and the coaches poll, and we all know that the coaches poll is the more accurate poll, had Tarsus as number two and had them flipped around. But these are the top three places of academic excellence. But the Apostle Paul was known as Saul of Tarsus. Now, he was known as Saul of Tarsus uh, not just because he was another guy named Saul that was in Tarsus. There are plenty of guys named Saul in Tarsus, I'm sure. After all, Tarsus was no mean city, as the Apostle tells us in the book of Acts. But he was known as Saul of Tarsus because this guy was an accomplished academic. He couldn't help that. The thing that distinguished him as an academic, say from academics today, is that he could also earn a living, and he did that making tents. And I don't know how it, I do know how it becomes, I shouldn't say I don't know how it becomes, that academics make their living without lifting a finger, but they ought not. So the apostle Saul of Tarsus, and he was that because he was probably the number one scholar of Tarsus, or at least arguably. There again, I think the coaches poll would have had him number one in Tarsus. Maybe the AP writers, after he, after he believed in the gospel, I'm sure the AP writers put him right out of the poll. But this guy is a, a, a substantial intellect. And here's what he means by this. He's the one who took the gospel to Mars Hill, you know, where the university professors were just hanging around being ignorant. And the Apostle Paul was eager to do the same thing in Rome. That is, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it's God's dynamite, and we ought not be ashamed of it either. That doesn't mean we force the gospel on people who don't want to hear it. No, that, not at all. But let me just say, the gospel makes more sense than anything else. And that's what makes it God's dynamite. It has the power to clear and light up men's minds. It's the opposite of, what was it, the Green Lantern who had the power to cloud men's minds? The gospel has the power to clarify and clear men's minds, and it's eminently reasonable. And it's so eminently reasonable, we're going to read later in the Romans 1, that the enemies of the gospel know that the gospel is so reasonable and so powerful with men's minds that they have to suppress the truth with unrighteousness, lawlessness. Still goes on today. And why isn't the apostle ashamed? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's still the power of God unto salvation, friends, to everyone that believes, and you're commanded to believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So this is what we have. We have the power of God. And we're opening it up just like a can of explosives, and we're opening it up in the airwaves. And won't you join us for the remainder of the study of the book of Romans? And we'll have a good time together here as we pick up from here in the next verse, the 17th verse, during our next broadcast. In the meantime, have a little song for you here that I think you'll probably enjoy. And it's about how the Lord Jesus Christ met a sinner needing a Savior, and he didn't give her criticism, and he didn't give her something to do, but he gave her water. <laughs> 